Hey, this is Ross King, and you're listening to Unfinished, a limited series podcast where I take you song by song through the writing and recording process of my newest record, also called Unfinished. For me, the process of making a record is emotional and thrilling and exhausting and all kinds of other things, and I look forward to taking you inside and sharing with you some of the stories of the journey. Thanks for joining me. Let's dive in. So going back to like 1996, 97, 98, somewhere in there, I was at a conference, a big like Christian worship and teaching and missions conference. I'd been a part of Breakaway Ministries, um, leading worship there for a few years at the time. And Breakaway was this huge Bible study worship time. It, it, it still is that, you know, was kind of sending people all over the world to, to do missions and to do ministry and stuff. So we were, of course, a part of other conferences doing that stuff. And we were, we, we had all gone, a bunch of us had gone to this conference and, you know, this is like 25 years ago. And I'm going to tell you what happened there, but I want to be careful not to sound too judgy. Look, over the course of my long life, I've said a lot of dumb things. So the last thing I want to do is like pick on somebody for something they said 25 years ago. I have no clue how this person would feel about what they said, and I don't want to make a judgment. But what they said and, and kind of how it made me feel and, and what I think happened are important to the story. So I'm at the conference, and kind of the main leader of the conference is this really, really good speaker. And at some point, he's on stage, and it's this awesome, amazingly good presentation that they're doing with production and worship and amazing teaching, and the songs were in, were incredible. The band was stellar. It was all top-notch. It was very, like, aesthetically wonderful. You know, it had lots of sensory goodness to it. And honestly, it was one of the most excellent things I'd ever seen in that way at the time. So, you know, picture that. And all this is kind of normal now, but this was, 90, like I said, late 90s, that this kind of thing wasn't as normal. And this, so the speaker gets up and he's talking about what we're doing there. And he says something like, it's not about a show. You know, we're not, we're not here to put on a show. And then he proceeded to sort of put on a show, you know, or at least it was a very highly produced, very... Um, dramatic and beautiful and loud and bright, shiny thing that looked like a show. And so I think in doing that, it's like he redefined what a show is. And that stuck with me for so long. I don't think that one statement or that one conference is responsible for what's happened in the years since, but I do think it's a part of some bells that got rung that can never be unrung. Worship as a genre, as a music thing, has just gotten massive and cool and produced and beautiful and um, showy a little bit and performy a little bit. You know, when I was coming up in the 80s as a youth group kid, worship leaders weren't signing record deals and they weren't rich, cool people. Uh, worship music wasn't a massive moneymaker. All those things have changed in the 20 or 25 years since since I was doing Breakaway and since I was at this conference. And I think the mindset of that of that statement is at some level, I won't say responsible, but it's but it but it's a part of what's happened. So anyway, that statement and that moment is kinda what twenty five years later sparked this song. It started when we told them that worship's not a show. 
Then we put on a show, and they were too impressed to know that You know, if I told you that I was a vegan, maybe 10 years ago, before, before veganism got in the zeitgeist of the culture or whatever, and you didn't know what it was, and I made you a meal with a bunch of vegetables, but I cooked the vegetables in butter, then you might believe that vegans eat butter because I would have said to you, I'm a vegan, look at me and see the definition. And then you see me do something that now you might know, looking back, vegans don't do. But I would redefine vegan for you, right? And I think that's kind of what happened in that moment. Now, fast forward, you know, to all this time later and, you know, worship's just a lot bigger thing. And so as I started going back in my mind to that statement, I wanted to speak to the sort of history as far as I as far as I experienced it, the history of the way worship music got to where it is. And again, I'm not I'm not here to say that where it is now is bad. I just kind of have this general way of looking at the world that says if something starts out humble and sacrificial and anonymous and then becomes cool and monetized and commercialized and uh, a way to get famous, that thing is probably going to change. And those who are involved with it are probably going to change. Um, so I just think we should be, we should be aware of what's happening in worship music. Now we're up on the stage with our hands in the air. The crowd is so into it, it's only fair. We'll give you some glory, maybe you can share a little with us. Celebrity wasn't our goal at the start But they set us up high and so bright in the dark At first we were lighthouses, now we stars, oh God One of the things I wanted to deal with was this idea that there's always a balance between like being a pastor and being a performer. And so some of my favorite lyrics in the song in terms of like things I felt like were linchpins, things I wanted to make sure that I said were like, you know, um, when I talk about at first we were lighthouses, now we're stars. Or, you know, we couldn't be shepherds and superstars too. Or the pressure was high and we had to work hard to write for the churches and rise up the charts. I'm just trying to show this in a more specific way, show this this weird balance, this, this difficult tightrope act that I'm referring to in the chorus. You know, I'd always been... Um, fascinated by this John the Baptist quote, you know, where he says, he must increase, talking about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And, man, what a, what a difficult thing, right? Um, that I'm supposed to decrease. Like that just, everything in my flesh pushes against that. And then you get into the idea that I work in a business where we're supposed to elevate Jesus with our music. And yet, we have to elevate ourselves in order to sell stuff. Like, just period. You can't get around that. Like, that that's something nobody really wants to say out loud, but you really can't get around that we have to promote ourselves to make money in the music business. To tell the world we got a new record, we have to go out on tour and put our pictures on posters and sell merchandise with our names on it. So how in the world can we decrease if we're doing that, it feels impossible. You know, if you follow my music for any length of time, 
you know I'm okay like asking a question and not really answering it. Uh, not because I want to be vague or cryptic, um, but because I don't always know the answer. But I think the more important thing that's you know maybe then the more important thing than maybe finding the answer is just being alert and teachable about the question, right? Because as soon as I feel like I've found the answer, I'll probably stop looking. And I think a lot of times the Lord wants to take us on a journey, sort of slowly tearing down our own kingdoms and idols and whatnot so that we can get to the real heart of the answer. It's almost less important that we arrive at some doctrinal truth and more important that we grow closer to, to the Lord and to his heart. Hopefully we get both. So, so I, I was trying to you know, work, work through all of that and, and just say, look, I'm not here to make a judgment about how good or bad worship music is or how good or bad worship leaders are or how good or bad worship movements or you know, worship record labels or, or any of that is. But I'm more just saying, hey, let's keep an eye on this. This seems like an area that if we're not careful, we could really screw something up. So, you know, and that's really my heart a lot of times when I'm writing songs. So that was that was a lot of what I was doing. You've got a lot of he must increase in our songs, but all of our I must decrease is gone. At the time that I wrote this, I was listening to a lot of pop songwriters, songwriters who were in the pop world, um, but were really gifted at crafting songs, telling stories, and kind of bringing something fresh. And there's a kid named Alec Benjamin, who my son Sam had been listening to a lot at the time, and so I was listening to him as well, just to get a sense of what Sam was listening to. Sam has awesome musical taste, both my sons do, but but um, Sam loves good songwriting. I'd like to believe that's because I taught him to, but I don't know. So I was listening to a lot of this Alec Benjamin kid, and a lot of what he was doing at the time was very stripped down. It would be like acoustic and a drum loop, maybe a bass, maybe some kind of synth, and then vocals. And the vocals would be really um, beat-driven, almost like a hip-hop-influenced approach to the lyric. So I was just into that, and I'm sure it influenced what I what I was doing. But So I started putting together this idea where I could just tell this story, you know, that I was in like the first person. I was there for it. I was there for this worship thing, and here's how it went down. And so I, I did this little thing with my acoustic where I would play this arpeggiated picked notes and go po da bum bop, and I would like choke the note do da do da do da do da. Then I put a little drum loop on it, and I wrote the song just kind of with that structure, and that's what I gave Mark and Ben, and you know that said, hey, this is what I want to kind of emulate. Um, this is this is my starting place, and so they took it from there, and built it up. It started when we told them that worship's not a show. Then we put on a show, and they were too impressed to notice. We didn't know then how far this thing would fall. Now we've. Really I'm not a very smart chord guy. Like I write really basic chord progressions, and. So I brought Mark and Ben this very, very basic thing. And my chorus was like, He must increase in our songs, but all of our I must decrease is gone. And that's, I'm playing an A right now. The song actually ended up being in B flat, I think. But 
but this is just A chord. It's really simple. If you know uh, numbers, it's just like one, five over seven, six, four, six, five, one. Really simple. Nothing fancy about that. But then when Ben got it, he apparently had this idea to make it a lot more kind of theatrical and to lean into the, sort of the quirky side of it and even sort of tell this meta idea of, oh, Ross is calling this a show. What if the music sounded really showy, like it's at an old-timey theater? And so his, and I don't, I still don't really know the chords he played um, because he changed them from, from what I wrote. And when I've asked him, he's kind of said, honestly, I don't know what these chords are, which is funny to me that you know, he just kind of fiddled around on the piano until he found something. But the centerpiece of, of the changes was in these two chords that happened kind of in the middle of it. And it's like, he must increase that datum in our song. And then, but all of our I must. And then this is decrease, like a minor, whereas I was doing like a major, is gone. So... There's more to his changes than that, but that's the basic, you know, these two or three more colorful chords brought this really beautiful thing to it. I'll let him tell you more about it. So Mark and I have been making music with Ross for years, and he has thankfully given us a good bit of freedom, maybe too much at times, to help shape the vibe and feel of his songs. And one word that keeps surfacing when searching for sounds and production for Ross is quirky. Ross has found a niche in writing important songs about serious concepts in a really disarming and charming way. The first time I heard the show, I thought Ross had written a really timely and thoughtful message about the purpose and intention of making this kind of music. And after playing around with just the vocal and piano for a while, I had the idea to dive into some alternate chords to give the chorus kind of a 90s end of credits feel. I like the idea of overthinking the chorus progression to a point that it felt showy. Then the bridge ended up being a full moment of ironic glory with horns, strings, choir vocals, and that organ solo. It just felt playful and right. Interestingly enough, there was a, a whole different bridge to this song when I first wrote it, when I gave it to Mark and Ben, I had this idea that I wanted to tell, I wanted to refer to the narrow road, you know, because part of my struggle through this worship thing is how big everything is and how much emphasis there is on like mega churches and mega worship services and, you know, kind of this massive concert experience. Because uh, I've noticed that sometimes worship doesn't work as well when you're in a smaller room and a lot of these worship movements part of why they are so like overwhelmingly emotional to us is it's just a massive kind of stadium experience you know and i've always sort of thought that worship should be able to work 
with a guy and a guitar or a girl on a piano or something in a room full of 10 people, that it should work just as well in that context. Anyway, I wanted to write about that. And so the original bridge was about the narrow road. It was like, you know, uh, we know all about the narrow road and where it goes and how it shouldn't matter if the numbers are a little low. all about the narrow road and where it goes and how it shouldn't matter if the numbers are a little low. It, it, it never was a great bridge, musically or lyrically. It didn't really tie up anything. And so Ben had had this idea that I should get a rapper to like feature on the song, which I'd never done and I was super intrigued by because I have this secret love of hip-hop, or maybe not so secret. And he's like, hey, we, should, we should get a rapper to like write something and we'll do, it. we'll do a bridge. Well, we just couldn't find anybody that was good enough to do it that we could afford. I just didn't, I don't know that many really good rappers and the ones that I know are would probably cost me too much or wouldn't be interested in being a part of my song. So at some point, Ben was like, why don't you just write like a spoken word thing, you know? And so originally the intro to the show that the thing that is now the intro, you know, that separate track that would, that was originally going to be the bridge. We just started thinking maybe this is a separate thing. Maybe the song says what it needs to say, but there's something else that could complement the song. And so I worked on this spoken word thing, something that could feel a little bit more like a mini sermon, kind of a poke the bear, kick the hornet's nest kind of a thought provoking thing. So I wrote that. We weren't sure if it should sit in the middle of the song, at the end of the song, beginning of the song. And so ultimately Ben and Mark were like, no, let's make this a separate song that that introduces and kind of tease up this other thing. And I really love how it turned out. Um, it's something I've never done before, but it was a lot of fun. The story of a ministry that turned into industry. It was never meant to be a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Commercialized communion of the groom and bride to monetize a holy and priestly and sacred call. But I'm warning you, it's easy to forget who you're performing to when fans are all adoring you. And you're reporting to a corporate bottom line. And now you bring your sacrifice into a temple where money is God. The last thing I want to do is be preachy and judgy and come down hard on worship music or worship leaders or any of that. I, I, I'm part of that world at some level. I'm not super successful in that world, but I've done a good bit of it, and I don't want to be judgy about that. I love worship, and I love that it's grown as an industry and as an art form so much. I just get a little nervous by how closely related to performance and celebrity it it often is now and so my goal in writing the song was not to pick on anyone but rather to say hey let's just be careful let's be vigilant celebrity wasn't our goal at the start but the pressure was high and we had to work hard to write for the churches and rise up the charts serving two masses has torn us apart I'll end this thing by telling you a couple of stories that I think are good examples of how I view worship leading and my own you know, view of authenticity and transparency and that sort of thing in the role of worship leader. This past summer, I was leading worship for my friend Eric, who um, brings me in every summer to do worship for his students. We do a beach camp for them, and Eric's just a, an amazing, great dude who trust me to lead his students, even though I'm really old and, you know, probably kind of out of the game. But anyway, Eric 
asks, he always asks my whole family to come, you know, because my wife sings, Stacy sings, and Sam plays drums, and Jude kind of plays everything, but uh, plays plays bass for those times. So we were leading worship for the students. It was the second or third night, and it's it's going great. And we start the first song, I think on maybe the third night, you know, and we're really amped up, and it just feels like everything is firing on all cylinders and working great, and the students are way into it and singing out and all that. And I notice on the first song, there's a fly buzzing around my head, and I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be weird if that fly went in my mouth? That'd be awful. And just as I'm thinking that, and I'm full-on singing, playing my guitar, the fly goes into my mouth and down my throat immediately. And so it catches in my throat, and I suddenly can't make a sound. So I'm still playing, and we're in the middle of the song, and the, and the students are singing along, and Stacy's singing along, and the boys are playing along, but I'm not singing, and my face probably looks white as a sheet. And I look over at Stacy and kind of start laughing, and she's not laughing, kind of wondering what's happening. And, and so, I don't know, it feels like a minute passed, but probably it was a few seconds, and I just started forcing myself to cough. And I coughed three or four times, and out comes this fly just out of my mouth. And I kind of cleared my throat and still felt like some fly parts were probably back there somewhere, which was super gross. But, you know, the show must go on. <laughs> See what I did there? I stopped a few seconds later, just stopped the song in in the middle of it, and said, hey, I was just trying to sing with you guys and lead you in worship, and a fly went in my mouth and down my throat, and then I coughed it up. And then I just counted us back in, two, three, four, and we came back in. And I tell that story, one, because it's funny and crazy and weird, but also to say that there's just no reason for us to be perfect up there. There's just no reason for worship to be so slick and so professional. It doesn't have to be like that. Excellence isn't bad but it isn't necessary to this. The second story that I'll tell, and I'll just close with this. Several years ago, I was leading worship at a thing in Virginia for a friend of mine named Joe Mays, who's just another wonderful guy who trusts me, despite my age, to occasionally lead his students. And when I finished leading worship at this event we were doing, a high school young man came up to me, and he said something like, Hey, can you tell me just kind of what what it is that you think it takes to do what you're doing. You know, he was just sort of saying, tell me what a worship leader is. What do you think a worship leader's job is or whatever? And I said something like, well, the temptation is to get on that stage and point to God while also kind of taking some credit for it. And it's really hard not to do that. But what I try to do is I try to find the most shadowy, anonymous place on that brightly lit stage, and I try to hide there while still giving enough leadership that people know what's going on and, and people know kind of where to go. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tour guide uh, in the Grand Canyon, and if I run at an Olympic pace through the Grand Canyon, then everyone just notices how fast that I run. And they maybe don't notice the canyon as much. But I'm here to show you the canyon. So I run at a pace that brings everybody along as much as I can. And I do my best the entire time to point to the beautiful creation in the canyon. Or in this case, to the Lord Jesus. 
uh, and I don't do that perfectly, you know, and I don't remember if I said all those exact things, but it was something like that. And I could see his face when I was talking and I knew he was taking it in, but I know he also probably felt a little bit of weight, you know, a little bit of heaviness with, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's a serious answer. And I wasn't trying to like burst his bubble or make it no fun or be like heavy preacher guy, you know, super doctrine serious guy. But I wanted him to understand that I know he sees a lot of different ways to do this, but I wanted him to have at least one perspective that would honestly say it's extremely tempting to get up there and be a celebrity in whatever context I'm in, right? A celebrity in front of 20 people or a celebrity in front of 20,000 or whatever the context is. And it's very natural for us to be tempted to do that. But what the Lord wants to do is he wants to get glory for himself. Not because he's arrogant, but because he knows he's the best thing. He knows that everything else that we try to chase down and fill our hearts with is going to fail miserably and disappoint us all the time. And I can't give people the joy and the hope and the comfort and the healing and the power and the answers that they come looking for when they gather with the church. That's why we come into those spaces, right? Is to find something life-giving and I can't give it up on that stage. But I can, up on that stage, point to the one who does give it, who's able to do more than we ever ask for and ever imagine. That's what I can do. And that's my job as both a worship leader and as someone who writes a song about worship leading called The Show. Because we've got a lot of he must increase in our songs, but all of our I must decrease is gone. And the money made it harder, and we did the best we could. But when they love you, it feels good And we just couldn't resist it So we took it even farther Started chasing after fame And when we lifted up your name Our name got lifted with it And we had good intentions, but it was no use We couldn't be shepherds and superstars too In order to move forward, we had to choose And who could blame us? Celebrity wasn't our goal at the start We just wanted people to see who you are We're getting ourselves out of the way It's hard when we're famous Cause we've got a lot of heroes up the charts serving to masses has torn us apart and we're still singing he must in-
Cause we've got a lot of people